Welcome to the Everyone to Critic Movie Review Podcast. My co-host, Bob Zarrell, with me as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, EveryoneToCriticPodcast.com, or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or handle us Critics Pod. Listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Subscribe to the show, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. We will read your review on the air, and we will also give you a uh Blu-ray, 4K Blu-ray copy of a movie given to us by some distributors. So uh, if you do that, let us know you do it, and we'll read it on the air, and we would greatly appreciate it. If you want to help support the podcast, patreon.com slash criticspod is the best way to help support the podcast. We can get bonus content uh, and a credit on the show. And then our T Public merch over at tpublic.com, search criticspod, or go to ihatecritics.net and click on the T Public link. All right, let's jump right into the show, and uh, we lost James Kahn this week. Yes, uh, James Kahn, I believe he's 82 years old. Uh, best known, of course, as Sonny Corleone. Uh, are easily, I think, his most iconic performance, uh, he, you know, especially his, his death in that film. But I think the thing that really stood out to me when I think back in The Godfather, the other day, uh, before he died, it was a couple of weeks before he died, I just was in my head just sort of restating that scene with him and Michael talking about the assassination of the police captain and uh, the rival gang gang leader. And it, it's just that, that line, bada boom, you get blood all over your nice suit. <laughs> it's just like, it's such a great scene. And he gets, he's so underrated. Uh, like, cause there are so many iconic things in the Godfather that uh, it's easy to overlook some of it. And that one, that scene is such a standout. He's so, He's got so much life, so much energy. So he just controls the room. There, there's that, and of course, the when he beats up his sister's boyfriend uh, is another great scene because you know, as much as this guy is a, a murderous thug and a criminal, you know something about righteous violence just feels right to some people. And right. I'm I'm not a violent person, but when I see somebody you know who's been harming a woman and uh, harming anybody else, and a bigger guy comes along and beats the crap out of that guy. It, it's satisfying, and especially J- James Conn makes that scene especially sad. That's why. Even as it kind of lead to an unfall, uh, but I, I love the performance too because the, the, you see so much of of Sonny's failures, so much of the things that are wrong with him. Just in Jim, James Conn's performance, he implies the things that are going to be his downfall: his ego, his insecurities, his uh, you know his, his thinking, his act first, think later approach to to life. Uh, is the same thing that his father sees in him and why his father kind of leans a little bit more towards Michael as somebody who could be the leader of the family someday. And that all comes from Sonny. That all comes from that performance by Jim, James Kahn to communicate all of that. It's so brilliant. Uh, and, then, and obviously the other one I think people think about first when they think of Jim, James Kahn is Misery. And it's such a different performance. It's such a wholly different character. And it, it takes him on a whole other different uh, tangent because he, as much as he might be kind of an arrogant character he's much more laid back uh as that, that character he's much more i don't want to be soft but definitely just not a similar guy in many ways right. uh it, you know, people often accused james con of not having a lot of range but i totally don't buy that based off of those two performances i think they're so very very different and then you throw in something like honeymoon in vegas when he's opposite Nick, nicholas cage and trying to romance sarah jessica parker again He's very charming in that film and you know, very exciting. And it's very understandable why a woman would find him interesting, attractive and charismatic and 
you know, <laughs> not necessarily better than Nicolas Cage, but certainly an option next to Nicolas Cage. <laughs> right. And even though we don't like these movies, but, you know, he's an elf and it's the guys like him that allow those movies to work for the audiences they work for. You know, Ooh. even the Sandler movies, I don't know how many he's in, or if, if any, but they always bring that great actor in to kind of, one, ruin their career, but two, uh, hold that movie together so it, uh-huh. it, it gives us some sort of depth for that audience. It's not for us by any means, uh, but you know, if I am going to have to watch Elf, he's the part I'd rather watch than the Will Ferrell stuff. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, you make an interesting point there too about Elf and what he does in that movie. It's such a different energy than you expect from a character like that. He's certainly blustering and frustrated, but there's like an edge to that. Like this guy might actually snap and beat the crap out of Will Ferrell. It's <laughs> like like that element of danger within him that is uh, kind of exciting. Whereas you wouldn't get that from characters who are, you know actors who play it similarly, who are kind of would have played it more stuffy and uptight. Uh, James Conn looks like he might just beat the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was just an actor I always liked. I mean, he is my favorite part of the first Godfather because, like mm-hmm. you were saying, he is kind of the glue that makes that movie, that moves it from Act 1 to Act 2. Uh, and, you know, we've done it with Nicolas Cage and some other people, but it's just like, if you could take James Conn and, like, swap out Warren Beatty, <laughs> and, <laughs> I wonder if those moves would be any better. I met like think of shampoo with James Caan. I think that's a much better movie. <laughs> and I mean, obviously that's inspired by the Godfather scene being inspired by Bonnie and Clyde, but that's what, mm-hmm. you know, that's a way better scene than Bonnie and Clyde was. It is. It is. It is it's more emotional, more impactful, uh, more unexpected. Yeah, absolutely. And he's not just a pretty face. There's a, just a different layer of, depth with him as an actor i mean he like you were saying i mean he's he's a hothead but it there's just range there in that character alone in sunny and then you go to misery where he's more vulnerable i mean he he really is he may have had a you know you're never going to see him going full-blown like jack nicholson or anything like that and that he doesn't need to but the depth he brought to his character is really was is understated i think you know now that we start talking about it and it is interesting to yeah once we start talking about it, you start to think about things and and i know it's kind of a recency bias considering just his death and you're wanting to find nice things but i hate the movie mickey blue eyes i think it's an absolute piece of garbage but again there's a typically romantic comedy stupid movie where he's bringing an entirely different energy than the type of actor you usually get in that role uh, and I think it's just the edge of just kind of no bullshit that he brings to every performance that he has. Uh, other actors, of course, would be broad and, like I said, stuffy and play up those aspects of it. And he's more down to earth. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it's and sometimes he's, obviously I, another thing I like about him is in if you see James Caan in one of these bad movies, he doesn't care like he he'll just give up on a movie like if he doesn't like what he's doing he says just kind of gives up and just does it <laughs> and he's not gonna lie about it you know he's not he's not fucking with you about it and I, I i really appreciate that that kind of no bullshit edge to him yeah he's he's a meat potatoes actor but i i there's just something that's not fake about it like 
I guess I appreciate the give up <laughs> in a way that, you know, like an Al Pacino would overdo it and try to act harder to make it better. <laughs> yeah. It always makes it worse. Right. <laughs> Con can make it forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> And that's and I mean that in a good way, but he, and that's yeah. just talking about his bad movies. But he's talking about Mickey Blue Eyes, right? <laughs> I I've just he's always been one of the guys, and a lot of it's due to the lack of being exposed. I, I, I don't I can't name off the top of my head, you know. I, I'd have a hard time naming ten right now. I mean, I know there mm-hmm. are several, and I'm right. sure you start going through them and be like, oh yeah, that one, that one, but. uh he he hasn't been overexposed like a De Niro or a Pacino or a Nicholson or anybody. I mean, there's just something about. I mean, he's like the perfect amount of roles and uh, variety that, uh, you know, I'm a. I've always just kind of been a fan quietly, uh, so that's a shame. Yeah, and one thing, you know, future classic. I hope on this show is going to be Thief. I really would love to see Thief again. We tried to do that as a classic uh, several years ago, and it wasn't available. And I'm not sure if it is available yet. Uh, for a long time, that movie's been off the market. Yeah. I and I saw it when I was a kid, I think on VHS. And, but uh, I don't know if it ever made it to DVD. Yeah, we'll have to look at that sometime. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, rest in peace, James Kahn. And now we will get on to our very short show. <laughs> uh, we say that now two hours yeah, two later. Two hours later. <laughs> we, Another we thing about Thor. Thor. <laughs> <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder. Thor Love and Thunder with uh, Chris Hemsworth taking up the role of Thor for like the 17th time. If you combine all the movies, uh, uh, he's still great. You know, Chris Hemsworth is still great at being Thor and the way he's evolved that character and grown that character in very unique ways. And a lot of that is owed to Taika Waititi's approach. That said, in this particular story, I don't know if necessarily Taika Waititi's approach really worked. Uh, the story goes that uh, Gore the God Butcher is played by Christian Bale. He was just a character named Gore until he was drawn to this oasis in the desert following the death of his daughter and this immense grief that he was feeling. And he finds this oasis of the gods and he's drawn to this sword that speaks to him and turns him into Gore the God Butcher and tasks him with killing all gods uh, after he has a very terrible, terrible encounter with, it, with the god that he felt that he believed in. Uh, from there, we just sort of whipsaw around to where Thor is, and we've got Korg telling the story to kids about who Thor is and what he's been doing, and his dad bought and getting back in shape and becoming, you know, Thor again, and and it's very, very funny. And and these two things do not work together. Uh, you've got Christian Bale doing this intense, like father who's just lost his daughter performance and, and turning violent like it's a <laughs> it's a goddamn Joaquin Phoenix movie he's and then committed got, to that character. deeply committed yes and then you go then you jump over to this you know comedy that's going on with Thor and it just the tone is just all over the place and uh, on top of that I, what I I'm baffled by this and maybe you can uh, kind of give me your insight on how this, how you feel about this. I, and it, to me, 
what is it about the Guardians of the Galaxy that no other director can get right? Because nothing about the Guardians in this movie feels right. All of it feels just a little bit off, the way that they portray Drax, the way that they portray you know, Rocket, even Groot just doesn't seem quite right. Uh, and it's something about the rhythm just feels off anytime somebody other than uh, James Gunn directs Guardians. It's so weird to me. The only thing I can, my guess would be they just feel lesser than what the characters around them. Uh, and I, like, I, I mean, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Chris Pratt. Pratt. Chris Pratt can go toe to toe with Chris Hemsworth in terms of charisma if they if they let him. Uh-huh. Uh, but Star Lord's not Thor, and right. uh, and you just don't get enough time to spend with them, and they're all there together. So maybe if they picked one of them, it would have been uh-huh. one thing. Or if they spent the whole movie together, but they just there hasn't been enough time, you know. Fair enough. Uh, and James Gunn does, I mean, I don't know, does work them better and does appreciate the characters more. Just exactly, but also like reducing them. I mean, I know they've got they don't have a lot of screen time and they do have to get off screen pretty quickly to make room for the rest of the story. But like reducing Karen Gillan's character to just she screams a lot and is angry, like there's just so reductive. And uh, you know, Pratt's trying to do Star Lord in a couple ways, but it seems like he's kind of restrained by what Take Away TD is asking of him. Uh, he's being very earnest, and I know the character is kind of earnest at times, but he's also very, very snarky most of the time and very, very arrogant. And that's another problem with the MCU, too, is that every character has become that. Now that Thor is that, <laughs> and, you know, Captain America is probably about to be that since it's now Sam Wilson instead of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Rogers. Right. Uh, now that that's he's handed that over, he's probably going to be that, too. Uh, all these characters are kind of becoming the same. The snarky, above it all, you know, Joker, who, who's just kind of smarter than everybody and, you know, making jokes at everybody's expense. And Hemsworth is not so much that, but he does have a like a goofy quality that is similar to that uh, as Thor. And, and it's just it's getting it's getting kind of tiresome. Well, and uh, I didn't even like it. I mean, as a standalone movie, I like Ragnarok. As Ooh. part of the universe at that time, I didn't like it because the character, it didn't, it wasn't a natural evolution. It was, hey, Guardians did great. Let's copy what they did. Now, he made a great individual movie, but I didn't fit, I didn't feel it felt natural with the rest of the mm-hmm. universe. Now, they kept that character and rolled with it from then on out. Uh, but here, they almost went full parody with it. Almost. They didn't quite go that far, but they flirted with it. And yeah. I, it just that mixed with what Bale was doing. There's almost like an element too, like of a <laughs> with the stuff with him and Jane Foster. Jane Foster's back at Natalie Portman's character, and she's now Thor, uh, the mighty Thor, another version of Thor. Um, the hammer chose her, and the hammer chose her because he asked the hammer to protect her in this very '90s romantic comedy <laughs> thing that Take Away TD does that. It's kind of funny, but at the same time, like it's a montage. It's a very, it's very odd illusion in this. You know, Thor's making pancakes. Like <laughs> that's right. a, and it's just funny because it's Thor making pancakes. Uh, that kind of humor is almost. It's very reminiscent to me of like a Judd Apatow approach. Like there's a Judd Apatow 
romantic comedy element where we're not taking this too seriously, but at the same time, we're also being very sweet and kind of earnest in a way that you can buy. And that's kind of like they don't have the obviously the raw dialogue that uh, that Apatow had, but the, certainly the sensibility is there in a sort of a PG-13 level. And when you're putting that opposite, the fact that Jane Foster is dealing with having cancer and look, potentially dying, you've got a bunch of children that have been kidnapped and being held by Gore the God Butcher, who could just murder them at any moment. Because uh, Christian Bale appears like a guy who could just start murdering children if he wanted to. <laughs> like, he totally doesn't fit the tone of this movie at all. Even a couple of times when he tries to be a little bit genial or a little bit, uh, you know, off color he still comes off as very menacing and, and terrifying. And that just doesn't work. And then when you want to have that moment later where Jane has given up the hammer and she's gone back to being herself and she's you know, dying of cancer, how am I supposed to buy into the seriousness of that when Thor is still doing his kind of awkward romantic stuff? Uh, you know, you, at that moment, I thought Thor should probably be more stalwart. But then also when you go back, going back to the kids who get kidnapped by, by Gore, like after the kidnapping, they're all just kind of standing around and making the same jokes. And like Korg is talking to Thor about, uh, you know, well, are, you still love Jane, don't you? I can see that you still like her. It's like children have just been kidnapped. Can somebody have some perspective on this? Like everybody's just kind of blase. The main character specifically, like the, the extras are very serious. You know, they're the ones who've lost their children and they're, you know, looking around screaming, looking for somebody to to take the lead in this moment and even still even in that moment thor can't take it seriously and then jane gets a big like physical comedy moment where she tries to use the hammer and flies through the ceiling and bounces off of something and just look, ends up looking ridiculous and you know then they're going after the chi the, the kids to try and rescue them and they end up on zeus's planet with russell crowe and they do another big comedy bit and again we've lost all perspective here children have been kidnapped and I don't think that Taika Waititi understands that, you know, when you do that, we're taking that seriously. We're buying into your movie that these children are currently in danger. But then you're also throwing in this, you know, like the Thor gets all of his clothes torn off and the girls are eating popcorn in the, in the stands going, we don't need to help him right now. Let's just look <laughs> like it's like it's adorable, like they're ogling Thor. And it's like. Yeah, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, does anybody have any perspective on this story at all other than Christian Bale? Uh, and again, now I will say this. I thought the movie was very funny. I laughed a lot at this and I laughed loudly. There's some very funny things in this movie. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is really good at being funny as Thor. He and Natalie Portman have a very natural comedic chemistry in a weird way. Tessa Thompson can be funny. Korg, uh, Taika Waititi's character, can be very funny. But when you put that those relatively big, broad laughs in a movie that also has Christian Bale mourning the death of his daughter. And uh, it, it totally ruins the ending. The ending should have been emotional. It should have had a big payoff to it. And it feels deflated at the end when the, when the big choice is made by Christian Bale's character, it, we all just sort of deflate. Like it just sort of ends as opposed to being this big emotional thing, which is also meant to be the jumping off point for the next you know, evolution of this character and the next evolution of this story, which is the title of this movie only is revealed at the very end of this movie as to what that references. And it's like, Jesus Christ, guys, you've totally ruined your, your own momentum here by, 
by having this be too broad on one side and too serious on the other side. It never marries the two. Whereas, you know, like take Guardians of the Galaxy 2, when Michael Rooker's character dies, it's very emotional. And you, you kind of, you're so invested in that after the, the evolution of his character, after the moments they've given him to evolve as a character and become that person that, you know, actually is more of a father to Chris Pratt's character than his real father was. And so when you arrive at the funeral scene and Chris Pratt lays a little, you know, a little uh, troll doll next to him, instead of that being like a, a big, broad joke, it's actually kind of emotional because you've already invested a piece of emotion into that. And then that, that scene unfolds. I've, I've watched dozens of people cry during that scene because they brought together both this big comedic thing that you have a giant Pac-Man fighting Kurt Russell, <laughs> Stone Kurt Russell, or you've got David Hasselhoff singing, like these big, broad jokes all brought together and still they managed to land the ending with this big emotional moment that matters. And Taika Waititi fails that completely here. He doesn't bring these two tones together at any point, and it completely deflates the very serious ending that they're going for. I mean, Taika's clearly a talented director, but I think he got lost in his own... I'll call it fandom. I don't know if that's the right word, but he definitely got caught up in the comedy to the point where, I mean, county subjective, I didn't actually laugh at all Ooh. just because I thought it was too far parody. But I, I get why people did. I mean, it, it's one of those where I could sit and look at it and go, well, I get why that's funny. I just And, again, your mood matters, and there's all sorts of things. Sure. But I, I was invested in the Christian Bale side of it, and when I kept going away from it. Uh, and then, then there's another part I want to kind of unpack with you because we're both atheists here. But yeah. You know, basically, he finds his God, and the God is kind of blocking the door to eternity. He goes, oh, that's for us, not for you. Yeah. So as an atheist, like, if you prove to me there's a heaven, I'm going to be like, okay, I was wrong. If you Mm -hmm. can prove it. So basically, they find heaven. The gods aren't letting people into heaven. Christian Bale's character is essentially finding heaven for everybody, and Thor is trying to stop him. I mean, is that not, not what's happening in this movie? <laughs> and th- and Bale's the bad guy. Uh, at least that I was should be the that should be the. I think that was intended to yes. be part of the conflict, and and the failure is the, that you've got all this comedy stuff that is detracting from the the major conflict that he's got going on. Well, and that's the main fatal flaw too is that these guys are out of touch, but this comedy's out of touch with the rest of the movie, and it just. Mm-hmm. Uh, that conflict never really gets to be thought about. I mean, it was, and I spent most of the movie squirming in my seat when I, I did fall asleep one time. My daughter had to say, you're snoring in the theater. That's two weeks in a row. This is getting bad. <laughs> and I did sneak out to use the restroom during Russell Crowe, and I missed the entire scene. <laughs> you didn't miss much. Uh. <laughs> but other than that, that's, uh, but I just, it was, I really wanted, I wanted that, you know, the Thanos conflict where it was just like, he truly believes in what he, he believes he's the good guy. You know, Black Panther mm-hmm. are the same thing. Michael yeah. B. Jordan's character believed he was the good guy. And it could have been here. And I just feel like Taika got lost in his phantom. I mean, even like the, some of the choices, like all the Guns N' Roses songs. I love Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. But it, it's distracting from the rest of the movie. Cause Absolutely. It's the same you know, four great songs or three great songs, whatever it was, but it, it just, it doesn't. Well, and, and the kid who calls himself Axel 
I yeah. mean, the kid who All wants to be called posters. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that was never, was it, it was never funny. I just never, it was never made into a joke of any kind. Not that, not the Guns N' Roses are a joke, but I mean, like the idea of a child, you know, of that age falling in love with Guns N' Roses is a weird thing. And it would kind of something to unpack and figure out why. And, or maybe apply a, a reasoning to it that has a com- comedic background. Like that should have them. That should have something to it instead of just random twelve-year-old from today likes a Guns N' Roses record from thirty years before he was born. <laughs> yeah, he just got caught up in all the peripheral stuff and lost track of the plot, mm. in my opinion. And uh, you know, he's made some fantastic movies. I mean, and he really. He, I mean, Jojo Rabbit one of is one best. that brilliant movie which has a big broad comedic tone about a child who befriends a you know, hitler a ghost of hitler in his head or you know, uh, imaginary friend is hitler and taika watiti plays him and it's very 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 funny and very very broad and then you get to that scene with scarlett johansson at the end and just the shot of shoes and i bawled i did and i mean he just he He's more than capable of this. He did it in Ragnarok, too, where when when Thor had to get serious in Ragnarok and show that he was still capable of fighting back and defeating and defeating Hela, he he stepped up. He became, you know, Thor again. He became this you know character again. And obviously he does. You know, he has a big arc in Avengers that that is uh, well played. Uh, and so, you you know, he's capable of it. The, I, I hate to say this, but this has to fall really a lot on Taika. Anteka, he because again, I just don't think he married these two things together well enough. He didn't think it through to bring together the broad comedy and the dramatic emotions that that should have come together in this story. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times when something like this happens to other movies, we tend to blame the studio. But Kevin Feige seems to be letting these directors do what they do. You know, Sam mm-hmm. Raimi with his movie. Definitely had a, his made sure he got his Sam Raimi parts in there for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. But I mean, James Gunn and all the guys, they, they've gotten, you know, Favreau, they all were able to do what they, what they do and put their stamp on it. Uh, and so I, I think you're right. You, it, the blame lays on Taika and it, it is what it is. I, I mean, I, I just, I think this is kind of a failure, even if it is mm-hmm. funny. I, I think the story is so... They missed a lot of key points uh, that yeah. I, I can't really, consider this good. You When you waste a, a Christian Bale performance like this, it's it, it, it does definitely bring the movie down a great deal, even as much as I did laugh during this movie. Watching them waste that performance and his deep commitment to it was just, that was a real shame. Uh, I, I really wanted more on that. Uh, I really wanted Christian Bale to get more opportunities to do that and to be that, uh, be that character and be in those moments. Uh, and they just wanted to make jokes. You know, <laughs> that's just all they wanted to do is keep making joke after joke after joke. And, you know, I mean, think about what's in this movie. You've got that character who loses his daughter and becomes the God Butcher. You've got a group of children who are kidnapped and threatened with death. You've got another character who is dying and becoming a superhero. Big, dramatic elements in play. Uh, and nobody can take any of that seriously. And it just, 
not that you have to necessarily take it all completely seriously, but there had to be, there has to be a midpoint where these things meet, you know, where you're still making your jokes, but you're also not forgetting that you've got these big elements are in play. Like I can't get over what they did with those scenes with the kids getting kidnapped and just the, like, even when Thor goes to see, he, they do this magic thing where Thor can go and see the kids. He not like a, his physical presence can go there, but like, a projection of himself can go there and interact with him and he's still being a goofball and it's like these children are facing death <laughs> like they're facing the you know, one of the most evil men in the universe you know and and you still can't treat this with any kind of seriousness i mean it, it's such a departure from who thor was it's gone too far from who he was in dark world and thor uh we ragnarok was a nice evolution of the character as was avengers and then this, like, just has gone so far in the other direction, in the direction away from who he was. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like that would be the 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 overall arc of this character. I think at a certain point he would, as much as he's, you know, kind of all over the place emotionally and all the things that he's been through, all the traumas that he's suffered. I still think there would be that dignified part of him that would recall, you know, his father and what his father would do in a situation like this and or you know what he would want to do to honor his mother that kind of thing like those types of thoughts would still be in the back of his head and be part of who he is and i don't think we carry forward anything from what happened to him from dark world or thor that character is almost com- a completely different character i mean for me a lot of it was almost as if he was leslie nielsen or lloyd bridges like i, I really At times i really yeah, thought he absolutely. went that far a couple of times and quite frankly, Natalie Portman kind of went there a couple times with him. And I mean, yep, they don't stay there. They don't stay there, but they definitely touch it. And I don't know. Even it, Tessa Thompson too. Yeah. Uh, same. And Russell oh, yeah. Perot was just completely over the top. All the way there. Yeah. Even though I didn't see that part. <laughs> it was so quick. I can only imagine. Uh, yeah. It, it's just kind of a. Bummer. Let's just say there's a, there's a, there's a point in the, in that scene with Russell Crowe where he says, you're no longer invited to the orgy. <laughs> like that's, that's a joke in this movie. Yeah. And, you know, and again, I guess people are, people are saying it's funny. You said it was funny. My brother said it was funny. A lot I of people laugh. Who, yes. Uh, but to me, it was more like grown ups where it was like, I get why they think this is funny. <laughs> but, but again, a, a lot of that's all subjective. So I'm not going to. A gonna lot of that is that too sword. is just my, my affection for these characters that I've built up over over the series of films that I've right. seen them play, especially Hemsworth. You know, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of emotion invested in that. And uh, it's the it's a shame that uh, I think it just has gone too far. You know, they, it's it the, it's so far up its own ass now. Like <laughs> that's a real thing. Like it, that's really what it is. Is like the the they've got a reference to Matt Damon and Luke Hemsworth who had the you know they did that joke with them with Loki in Ragnarok and they bring that back here and do it twice and that's just that joke is just so far up its own ass. <laughs> right. Like you in Ragnarok, you're like, hey, is that you know? Yeah, it's a and different. That's like, like a great one-time bit, but bringing that back and doing it two more times in the sec in the next movie, you've already used up the comic potential of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, Jojo Rabbit's one of the, a great, great, great movie, better than probably just about every movie we've mentioned related, you know, yeah. uh, and 
I think he just took his eye off the prize. That's all I can. I, I agree. That said, I think this is way better than Doctor Strange, but that's not saying much. <laughs> yeah. I don't recommend either of them, but I would watch this a thousand times before I ever look at that piece of shit Doctor Strange multiverse of madness garbage. And I haven't seen it to give an opinion. You're lucky. Count yourself lucky. That movie sucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't intend to ever see it. Good uh, choice. <laughs> Alright, our undisputed classic this week, and I was wrong. I thought Thor was wearing the Big Trouble Little China <laughs> shirt. I think it was inspired by it for sure. Yeah. Uh, but this is like my 50th time trying to find a way to like this movie, because I really want to like Big Trouble Little China. and I will say I've liked it more this time than I ever have, but uh-huh. I don't know if I love it or not, but go ahead. Big Trouble Little China is our undisputed uh-huh. classic. Interesting enough, I did read a thing where Taika Waititi or, or someone was talking about the influence that Big Trouble in Little China had on his approach to Thor. And you can definitely see oh, yeah. elements of that, uh, elements of like what they're doing in Big Trouble, which is a lot of big, broad <laughs> adventure comedy uh, in both Ragnarok and in this movie. So uh, it, it is a good choice to, to pick this one. Uh, big Trouble in Little China, Kurt Russell, 1986, directed by John Carpenter is a bizarre story about a trucker who ends up in uh, Chinatown, the Chinatown area of San Francisco. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's just a very, Jack Burton's a very, uh, you know, manly character, but he's also kind of, but he's also a big goofball. Like is, is a lot of bravado, a lot of bluster and not a lot to back it up. <laughs> and it's so well played by Kurt Russell. Uh, he's got this buddy of his who he gambles with He's in town and that buddy's going to pick his new friend at the airport and something happens where she ends up getting kidnapped. Uh, Kim Cattrall plays a character who knows who took her and she's trying to going to she's going to try to help them get him back. And Jack, of course, is committing himself to trying to help his friend get his girl back. Uh, they, what they don't know or what he doesn't know is what they're walking into is this big supernatural gang war where the, there is this character named Lopan who is uh, played by William Hung, who's uh, amazing in everything that he does. Always great. Kung Fu Panda, everything, everywhere, all at all at once. Uh, he's just amazing. Uh, and here he's this uh, this character who can he's got lightning powers and he's <laughs> but then he's he's also super old. He can be run over by trucks, but he just gets back up. It's a very very weird character, very ill defined, but also a lot of fun. Uh, and all these supernatural elements are just really really a lot of fun to me. And I think yeah, there are elements of this that just don't work. Like there's this opening scene where you've got a character Egg who is. Uh, is himself a kung fu master or a master of these supernatural martial arts and he's talking to a guy and defending jack burton and talking about his heroism and it was very funny i was watching some behind the scenes stuff with john carpenter he said yeah that that shouldn't be there (laughs) the studio executives didn't think jack was a hero enough in the movie so they made me shoot that scene so i fucking shot it (laughs) that guy's still a fucking idiot though who suggested it? <laughs> John Carpenter is the James Conn of directing. <laughs> something James Conn would say as an actor. <laughs> with those compromises that you see, you know, in the movie, those elements that get compromised throughout the movie are part of, you know, the the studio trying to press their thumb on Jim on John Carpenter, him going just just fine, I'll just do it, just get out of my way, let me finish this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Also, like uh, part of this, I think part of the problems that some people have, and maybe you have, is that there's 
uh, elements of this that are very well, very much inspired by Asian cinema and a lot of Asian cinema. Like every all that stuff you see with the fight scenes is inspired by various different forms of Asian cinema beyond Bruce Lee. Like going into very, <laughs> very seventies stuff that showed on in drive-ins uh, or or in you know dive theaters in in African American neighborhoods in the early seventies. Like if you didn't watch those movies and you weren't getting those references, you might not relate to Big Trouble in Little China as much as other people will. Um, I'm not entirely familiar with them, but I've you know done enough research to to recognize the influence, mostly through Tarantino. <laughs> well, that was what, I was, what I'm going to. I mean, you know, you mentioned Thor being inspired by it, so this being cool. better than Thor helps. You know. Yeah. Obviously, all the Tarantino movies we've watched, we, we've dabbled in some of the Korean horror stuff. Not that that's, it, but there's elements that are inspired by the old, you know, Asian cinema. And then there's, you know, even everything, everywhere, all at once. Obviously, has, brings Asian cinema to it as well. So the more that this is probably the most educated I've been going into this viewing. And it, it just aligned right where it really was more of a, it was definitely a pleasant experience. Like I could definitely go, you know, call it a thumbs up. I definitely appreciate it more. The layers are there, the influence, the fun. Uh, I always got hung up on the Kurt Russell stuff and I loved it and it was fun, but it was just kind of like, I was seeing it like we were watching Thor just now like, well, here you got the Kurt Russell thing and then this side and I could never bridge the two together but actually carpenter did a fantastic job of bridging the two together i was the one not allowing it in my viewing experience to appreciate both so was it that you wanted like kurt russell to be more heroic and be more like the like the yeah uh, it's straightforward it, hero and he's that he's certainly not and they didn't you know ken carpenter doesn't want to be that and as and this time i was able to be like he's a guy I probably wouldn't like if i met in real life he's fun to watch here out of his element but he's not trying to make a likable guy. He's making a guy who can't back up the shit he's saying. And it, and it, I, I just the context was never right in my as a viewer. I just never was. I never approached the movie the proper mm-hmm. way. And it probably stemmed from the fact that I started watching this as a very little kid. Like my, I've probably seen this movie like ten, fifteen times over the course of my life because my brother watched it all the time. And then there's the other part of somebody that's that over like something and it's not yours and you're just kind of like jesus christ and so i think we watched it when it turned 30 yeah and i'll be honest i don't remember if i watched it then i might have pretended to and then (laughs) but this time i i don't know it just was different i was like i saw it from a different angle and different lens and probably the proper lens and it i definitely get it now and i'm glad i watched it and i think with more repeat viewings because it is a watchable fun movie. Kurt Russell Mm -hmm. is probably the best he's ever been. Like he owns that. He owns this movie is Mm -hmm. he's having more fun than he's ever had. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Yeah, there's there's so many wonderful things, but one of the scenes that that stood out to me, it's like, I, I always thought of when I was younger and I thought of this movie, I would think about the scene where he shoots the gun in the air and then the rocks fall in his head and he gets knocked out and misses part of the fight. But the one that stood out to me this time was he's actually battling one of these supernatural warriors and he like actually gets him and he stabs him and then the warrior falls on him and then he spends like several minutes just struggling, trying to figure out how to get the thing off of him. 
<laughs> a great bit. It's uh, it just uh, perfectly uh, Jack Burton. He plays it brilliantly, and I just I love. I also love the way they evolve his you know, the the other character the his buddy character uh where he doesn't seem like he's capable he seems like he's going to be the lesser guy and then he gets gets into a fight sequence and suddenly he's bruce lee like (laughs) i think they could establish that a little bit better but overall i like i really enjoy him he sells that so well that yeah that actor whose name is escaping me right now uh he he plays that so well and watching him get better and more confident uh through those fight scenes is a lot of fun um and i i just really enjoyed that like i think there are a couple of scenes missing and i think the part of that is like the the studio stepping in and like saying okay take this out take this out take this out put it out uh, and i think there are probably elements that might bridge the those those narrative gaps a little bit better well he never quite had halloween again you know he had that huge mm-hmm. success out of the gate and then you know time tells you they go back and they watch these movies and the thing a lot of people call their favorite horror movie and i mean escape from la has got its little or new york has its cult following this has its a huge following uh but in the moment none of these were hits so yeah there's a famous story about them trying to figure out a way to sell this movie after they made it because they're trying to you know so him and kurt russell are trying to are Carpenter and Russell are like, so when are they going to start the marketing campaign? I haven't seen anything. We're coming up on a couple of weeks before the movie comes out. And it was because the marketing department and, and the studio executives were fighting each other, trying to figure out a way to, to sell the movie to people. And ultimately what they settled on was this, just a picture of Kurt Russell and, and the question, who is Jack Burton? <laughs> people were like, I don't care who the fuck Jack Burton is. <laughs> Right. They totally, they totally botched the marketing campaign and didn't tell anybody what the movie was. On top of which, it came out at a time. Uh, it came out in the summer, I think it was around the same time. Well, obviously in the summer because that's why we're talking about it now. Uh, or no, wait, no, never mind. Yeah. It was a summer movie. But it anyway. was a summer. But it, it came out amid. It came out amid like several other major blockbusters, and they were <laughs> they were up against another movie that was coming out that was going to be in a similar vein but like more mainstream and so they were trying to get out ahead of that one and market themselves ahead of that one and they totally botched it well i think that was a story of kurt russell's early like not kid career but once he became an adult you know from used cars i think came out opposite airplane and i think the thing came out opposite i don't know what i feel like it came out opposite a pretty big horror movie at the time i can't remember what it was i don't want to say it and get yelled at by people who actually no and then this one too i don't remember the movie this one came out against but it was definitely one that oh it was like three major blockbusters right. like I think at the same time we're coming out but i feel like this one probably is, still gets talked about more and you can definitely see the, the influence of this movie on more 90s you know 90s mm-hmm. and 2000 films uh i i was and kurt russell wasn't quite kurt russell yet this was kind of the first time he became kurt russell i mean i guess Ooh. escape from new york but he didn't really become did he ever really become a star he was always like that next level down from mm. stallone and bruce willis and those guys yeah there was a point where they were trying to make him like a big blockbuster star but you know, they just never found the the right movie for him well and arguably he's probably a better actor because of it yeah but yeah i'm glad we did it it was it was finally good to have a pleasant experience with this movie i've wanted it forever and I finally got there so thanks for letting me have that moment 
1992. Let's see what you saw or have seen. The Best Intentions. That one, no. Cool World. Oh, I've seen Cool World. Yeah, that's a weird one. I always cool wanted world. to, but I never did. Cool World is uh, a story about a, a comic book artist played by Gabriel Byrne, a desperately miscast Gabriel Byrne. Uh, is, uh, it gets sucked into his own comic book where he's in there with uh, Kim Basinger and Brad Pitt, and then they all get sucked out into the real world, and uh, Brad Pitt's trying to get her back into the comic book, and uh, it's a whole thing. Uh, it's, it's such a misfire, and there's so many elements here that could make for a good movie like brad pitt's really cool in this movie uh kim basinger is gorgeous in this movie and it's kind of like she kind of like is jessica rabbit like but gonna, in real life i was gonna say i always thought it was like who framed roger rabbit meets howard the duck or something like that <laughs> but that's without seeing it uh, uh, she, she's she just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work he doesn't seem like a comic book artist he doesn't seem like a guy who would be able to romance kim basinger in any way like he just doesn't seem comfortable being the lead in a movie like this he's a supporting guy that's you know he's a character actor and this needed a, a movie star and uh, he's just not he's just not that right prelude to a kiss prelude to a kiss is a one of the more bizarre movies Do you know anything about this movie i do not let me tell you the story then, because you're, you're going to find this very interesting. So uh, Meg Ryan and Alec Baldwin meet and they fall in love, but uh, they're going to get married. But she's kind of got a lot of reservations about it. She's very uh, untrusting of people in the world and she doesn't want to have kids and she's very nervous. But she's going to marry this guy because she loves him. So on their wedding day, uh, they've they've just got married and she- he seems relatively content. The man walks into their wedding, and they don't know. Nobody knows who he is. He's just there. He's crashing the wedding, and uh, so they they try to figure out who he is. And he has this moment with Meg Ryan where they just kind of share a look. And once he does introduce himself, he's just said, "Well, I, I don't really know you guys, but I just I came in and I saw you guys having a wedding, and I just I just I'll I'll leave, but I just want to kiss the bride." And when he does, it turns into a body switch movie. So he, this old man goes into Meg Ryan, and Meg Ryan goes into this old man. And while they're on their honeymoon, Alec Baldwin comes to realize, like, this isn't Meg Ryan. Like, this isn't the woman I know. I've known her for, for a while now, and I don't recognize anything about her. And she doesn't seem to, to have the same memories that we had before. So when they get back, uh, you know, they, they're not having they're having a lot of arguments, a lot of trouble. You can definitely see that this person is lying to try and cover up how he's not really how she's not really her. He goes to this bar where she used to work and finds the old man there. And the old man, seeing him, is like, oh, hey, it's me. It's me. I can tell you this, this, and this, and this about myself. So what happens is that they then move in together. The old man and Alec Baldwin (laughs) begin to live together. And he's got to find a way to love her while she's inside the body of this old man. And it's very, very weird and uncomfortable. It's not a gay thing. It's not about well, gay. Cause, like, because that's that's that's, that's too part easy. of like, yeah, that's the too easy part. They don't go there. The movie is much more thoughtful than that. Uh, but it's about him trying to really fall in love with the soul of this person, uh, and instead of you know like the the attractive sexual parts. And so there's an element to that that's good, but it's also just very weird. The 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 longing gazes between Alec Baldwin and this very old man are just kind of the movie never really gets to a place where that isn't 
un, like funny. It just feels like you, uncomfortable, awkward laughter kind of emerges every time you look at it. Instead of buying into it and kind of feeling the emotion that they're feeling, you just can't get past the visual of it that just doesn't work. And the thing about it is, is that this was based on a Broadway play where they kind of more implied these ideas as opposed to actually having him be, you know, trying to fall in love with this old man uh, who is also his wife. Uh, they more It was more of an implication, whereas this movie, you're looking at Alec Baldwin and an old man <laughs> and about to kiss and you're like... Uh, they don't, right. but it's like uh, what? Mm. Right. All right, and then there was Universal Soldier, a formal former classic on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I've realized I I when we talked about this movie before, I hated it. Like I went on about how much I hated it. I watched it again and wrote about it, and I love it now. I think it's great. I think this movie is awesome. It's so terrible, but it's a, a great, so bad it's good movie. Uh, yeah, because I think I think once you kind of turn a corner on, on JCVD, and as I have, like especially through like the listening to the How Did This Get Made podcast, you know, they did they've done like all of John Claude Van Damme's movies almost, and listening to them talk about him and, and how interesting he is, and he he is very interesting. Like, as a person, as a performer, he's very awkward and very stiff. And the moments where he tries to not be awkward and stiff are very entertaining. Uh, Dolph Lundgren is just completely goofball over the top. Uh, But incapable of being charming about it. He's like a bully who thinks he's funny. He's not capable of being a goofball, but they put him in the goofball role. And then you got the guy with no real charisma and the charismatic role. And it was... And you know when you watch a Jean Claude Van Damme movie, you don't like you don't see the ego you see when you watch like a Bruce Willis or a Stallone movie or a Schwarzenegger Ooh. movie. You see a guy trying, yeah. Uh, and and after JCVD the movie came out, like that kind of helps frame things for me too. But uh, it, it's you see a genuine effort from him at least, and obviously he's an amazing athlete or not not athlete but a gymnast or a the physical right. specimen yeah and it, it it's fun enough in in a genuine way but not i don't know I, it's just a, the right kind of bad movie you know it's yeah. not a seagal bad it's just kind of like its own kind of bad and it's and there's been several sequels since yeah which i've i'm goldberg is in one of them uh <laughs> Yeah, I think you might be two, maybe. I don't know. I've lost count. But that's another scene. Another one I've seen is the one with Goldberg in it. Um, but I don't remember anything about it. I think he was in it. Right. I, I remember Universal Soldier. I can pull out pieces of that one, like uh, Dolph Lundgren's ear necklace. Yeah, <laughs> a memorable one. I remember people at the time debating, like, did guys in Vietnam actually do that? And right. like, no, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. Well, maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, I remember <laughs> quoting that movie for a while. Even now, I still remember like when he's like, it's someday, it's someday. <laughs> At the end of, or the beginning, or I don't even remember which way. But uh, I, it's, yeah, it's fun enough and a weird kind of. It's a fun, bad movie. Don't mistake it for a good movie oh, at no. all. It's not. This is not an endorsement of how great this movie is. It's an endorsement of how hilarious this would be to watch with a good group of people. 
but it's a genuine bad movie, which uh, there's an appreciation I have for that kind of, <laughs> as opposed to, I there's don't know. There's an earnest effort to make a good yes. movie that poignantly fails. <laughs> From every aspect of it. <laughs> uh, the only person cast properly was uh, whoever the woman character was. I can't yeah. remember her name. Yeah, and off the top of my head, I'm missing. And I just watched Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel talking about her, too. And, and Roger Ebert pointed out, like, she's actually really good in this movie. <laughs> All right. Next week, we have The Gray Man, Where the Crawdads Sing, Harris Gods to Paris. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. You know, I typed that, right? <laughs> I swear to God, you typed Harris gods to Paris. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Oh, you wrote Mrs. Harris gods to Paris, and I didn't see the misses. So it does say <laughs> Harris gods to Paris. So, and I busy busy day. Sorry. And then wrong <laughs> is right. I know nothing about this movie. You told me to Good. not learn anything about this movie, so I will not. Uh, I will watch it clean, and I'm looking forward to that one. I haven't, I haven't seen it myself, but I read about it, and my mind was fucking blown. <laughs> I got to experience this for myself. And so I get to come at it without knowing anything going in, so this should, yeah. be, this should be a fun one. Uh, 92, Nothing of Note, Comrades of Summer, and Revenge of the Nerds 3, The Next Generation. Ugh, I was God, still making those awful. movies in the 90s. I, Jesus, I can't even imagine. I keep going back to Goodfellas existed. <laughs> There's no reason <laughs> for a lot of these movies to still be around. <sighs> <sighs> All right, let's jump and do some flick chart before we call it a show. Wow, we really did do 50 minutes on Thor <laughs> and Big Trouble Little China. That's awesome. That's I'm kind of proud of that, actually. How do I get to this? Come on. Zoom, move the shit. (laughs) There we go. You're almost there. All right. There you go. Trapped in Paradise, Airplane 2, the sequel. Airplane 2. Yeah. I agree with you on that one. Old Boy or High Fidelity? That's very hard. I'll, I'm going to take High Fidelity because it's still like that's in a top five movie for me. But I love Old Boy. Yeah, it means a lot to me. I'll go Old Boy. Uh, I do it means like a lot that. to Josh too. <laughs> Both movies mean a lot to him. And Old oh Boy won the flip. I never win those. That's probably one you actually wanted to win too. Eagle Eye and American Tail. Eagle Eye? I don't really care about either one. Oh, I'm going American Tail. If you want to pick, go ahead. You can just right. you can just take it. Wonder Woman, Rosemary's Baby. Wonder Woman. Agreed. Gangs of New York, Inspector Gadget. Gangs of New York. Like one of my least favorite Scorsese movies, but it always comes up against <laughs> Inspector Gadget like movies. 
You need to watch it again. Honestly, you watch it again. I, I think I think Gangs of New York is better than people give it credit for. Really? And you know my dingle Lewis. I just have a thing. Bugs me. But <laughs> I should give it another <laughs> shot. Air Force One, Empire of the Wolves. Never heard Never of Empire heard of the of Wolves. Get off my plate! Air Force One, Saw 3. <laughs> it's Saw 3 all the way. Yeah. Diamonds. I did the fl- thing. You missed it. I did the thing. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Diamonds are forever. Black Klansman. Black Klansman. It's one of the. I love that movie so much. Mm-hmm. Look who's talking to House on Haunted Hill. Night House Night. on Haunted Hill is actually surprisingly good. Right. Tokyo Story. You seen that? And Karate Kid Three. I love Tokyo Story. Um, yeah, that's the one for me. Uh, what about Bob Head On? Head On, I think I've seen, but it's been so long. I need to watch that one again. I've heard amazing things about it. All right. What about Bob Saw 4? Saw 4 for me. I would love to see Bob in, in Saw 4. <laughs> I would love that character. I hate, I hate in a Saw about, trap would make me very happy. I hate what about Bob so much. Saw 4 <laughs> is when I start to kind of lose interest in the Saw movies, but still better than what about Bob. Ooh, this is a painful for me the natural or grown-ups it's easy for me as much as the natural isn't very good it's better than (laughs) grown-ups but it's i'll go with you but i guess you could could nap better to to the natural than you could that is to (laughs) grown-ups but there is like for me there's this about where you place the bar and i know it's lame that there's no way the bar is really low on Mm grown-ups uh the natural the should, should have been be good. Higher. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, Terminator Two, Judgment Day. Terminator Two, Judgment Day. Yeah. Homecoming is pretty. Yeah. Face off, the producers. The producers. U.S. Marshals, Children of Men. I know you're not a big fan of Children of Men. <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of Children of Men, uh, but I think it's probably better than U.S. Marshals. U.S. Marshals is just, eh. There. <laughs> yeah. Swingers, Downfall. That's tough, man. Downfall just for the meme, you know, is pretty great, but Swingers is Swingers. Uh, swingers. Yeah. <laughs> I love looking at those Adolf Hitler memes from Downfall. <laughs> so fucking good. Bruno Gans is amazing. Lethal Weapon 2, The House That Dripped Blood. I haven't seen The House That Dripped Blood, but I want to. I really want to see that, but I'm not seeing it. I do now. Never had a reason to watch it. All right. Lethal Weapon 2, 8mm. Lethal Weapon 2, but I, I have a weird appreciation for 8mm. I think, I think what I miss, I think what I like about 8mm is just the movie it was supposed to be. Like, when you hear Andrew Kevin Walker talk about what that movie was meant to be, like, and even, even, like an even bigger version of of like uh, Fight Club or not Fight Club, the Seven. Like even even more, you know, in that vein of Seven. Like you just the studio just destroyed that fucking movie, and it just I just dream about what that movie might have been if they'd have been allowed to make it the way they wanted to make it. Yeah, Limitless, Cool Runnings, Cool Runnings. 
for Bradley Cooper. The music of Chance, Fairy Tale, A True Story? I'm actually not familiar with either of those movies. Yeah, neither am I. Get smart. Sorry. Gets. Jesus fucking Christ. Get smart, the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Get smart. Nightmare on Elm Street remake was bad. Fast and Furious 6, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. So the other night, my daughter had her friend spend the night, and this will be fun to get to in a second, although I think it's pretty easy. Uh, but they wanted to watch something scary, and we spent like 90 minutes watching trailers. And, yeah. Uh, the first one I showed them was Hereditary. And <laughs> they were like, well, we, well, let's give us nightmares. I'm like, of course. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> 90 minutes later, I mean, we went through everything from, like, all the A24 horror movies, and they I went down the Rob Zombie little ones, the just the typical, and finally, we they went back to Hereditary, and then right as we start the movie, I'm like, you know what, I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a fantastic movie, and I, I don't know if they got to halfway through, but that would have fucked them up good. I don't think mm. they did. Uh, anyway, Lady Bird or One Hour Photo? Lady Bird. But One Hour Photo is pretty fantastic. Yeah, I, Lady Bird's one of the best of the last 10 years. Airheads, Police Academy 5. Airheads. Yeah, about a boy say anything. Oh, no, it's not. Two, uh, two movies I really love, but uh, about a boy. Yeah, if it was like High Fidelity, I'd be more curious. I think you'd go High Fidelity than About a Boy. I'm just curious. I need... uh, Reservoir Dogs, UHF. Again, two movies I absolutely love, but yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Ten Things I Hate About You, North by Northwest. Again, two movies I love, but I gotta pick North by Northwest. The Crow, The Last Samurai. Last Samurai is a really good movie. Um... Hmm. That's tough. I'm going to go with The Crow. Recency bias. I've watched that one more recently than I have Last Samurai, but I was reading my Last Samurai review, and I was very high on that film. I'll follow you, but I The Crow is similar to Big Trouble Little China, where I just, everybody loves it, and I, because we watch it for the show, and I just, I don't, I mean, I, I have a hard time getting in the right mindset for that movie, because it's not mm-hmm. what I want it to be, and, yeah. uh, I just need to keep giving it a shot. Eyes Wide Shut, Logan's Run. Eyes Wide Shut. Kubrick. Incredible fucking movie. Kubrick always. Is it accepted a movie or a TV show? <laughs> it's, a, it's a movie. Oh. A Clockwork <laughs> Orange or Accepted? A Clockwork Orange just for our conversation about it. Yeah. Kubrick always wins. Burn After Reading, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, man, that's tough. God, that's tough. Where are you going? I have a huge appreciation for Night of the Living Dead, but I I think I'm going Burn After Reading. The only reason is is that I think it means more that it exists than the movie being good, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and, Night of the Living Dead is like historic and and like memorable beyond itself. 
Right. And Burn After Reading is maybe like the 10th best Coen Brothers movie. But it's a Coen Brothers. I mean, Coen exactly. Brothers I mean, the, and Romero. Like that's better than, yeah. Yeah. The 10th best Coen Brothers movie is the, is the first best of a lot of directors. Right. And I, I mean, obviously, Night of Living Dead is more iconic, but I also think it. I mean, it is a classic in its own. I just still think the Coen. I just gotta go Coen Brothers. I and Burnout to Reading is kind of underappreciated, I think, for them. But mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it. It is very funny. It is very funny. Just, just the visual of that thing that Clooney was keeping in his basement. It's just such a great scene. <laughs> when he turns it on, and the the glee on his face is so <laughs> wonderful. He's just so proud of himself. <laughs> that was actually my runner-up for being next week's classic because I was looking for something to relate to the Gray Man. Uh, which, uh, by the way, in case you're wondering, the Gray Man will be in theaters on Thursday and Friday throughout the weekend, but then it'll be on the net on Netflix the following week. Which what is, is kind the of Gray weird. Man? It's uh, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans as uh, assassins. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. That does not tell you anything about our classic next week, though. <laughs> so, are you going burn out to reading? Or are you going? Night yeah, of the yeah, Dead? I'll go with you. Yeah, I, I love Night of the Living Dead. Though. My favorite part of Thor was the trailers. We got a new David O. Russell movie, which I hadn't seen that trailer yet. Oh yeah, that oh, looked that's really awesome. good, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I, I really, I think that Brad Pitt movie looks fun as hell. It's been in front of every movie I've seen for months, but. Uh, and even George Brad Clooney Pitt looks and, like he's having a great time. Oh yeah, and then even George. I don't want to see it, but the George Clooney Julia Roberts working together again. <laughs> I didn't get that one, so I didn't see that oh. trailer yet. Yeah, it's just good to see George Clooney making movies again. Uh, Doc Hollywood, Inspector Gadget. Doc Hollywood. Yeah. A river runs through it. The Green Inferno. Oh, good fucking Christ! I mean. I think I could probably sleep a little bit better through River Run through it. So you know, I could probably take a nap for about an hour. I'd only miss you know three hours of it. You know, there are three three more hours after my hour and a long nap. But <laughs> it's better. The than Green that. Inferno. It's just it's yeah. I hate I it. Just so, much. so miss. Like I, I, I want Eli Roth to be good so bad, and he just keeps throwing this comedy in these stupid, was supposed to be fucked up movies, and you can't get into mm-hmm. them. You can't be scared. Yeah. It's I don't know. The Messenger? I don't know what The Messenger is. is a really great movie with Ben Foster and Woody Harrelson. It's a pair of soldiers who deliver letters to people when their family member has been killed in combat. Oh, Jesus. On how they deal with that on an emotional level. Woody Harrelson got an Oscar nomination for that oh, wow. when it came out in 2009. Uh, yeah, it's a sensational film. And The Last King of Scotland. Last King of Scotland is just a lot of Forrest Whitaker chewing the scenery. So I would say The Messenger is the better movie. Multiplicity Aquaman. Just to go back from a, yeah. it's 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 again the, when it comes to The Last King of Scotland, it, it got a lot of attention at the time. I think Forrest Whitaker did win, but again, when it, it's the most acting versus the best acting. Forrest Whitaker is doing the most acting. Woody Harrelson was doing the best acting. They were different years, though, I think, weren't they? Or did they? They were. They were different years. But, I mean, I'm just in terms of why I'm comparing them there. Oh, absolutely. Well, and Nicholson was really very big at being the most acting, and Pacino did that a lot, too. 
Keenum does it bad a lot of times. Sometimes, like, Nicholson does it in Departed, and it's fun. You yeah. Know? But he didn't win It was win kind of a tinge of awareness with that. Right. Uh, multiplicity Aquaman. <sighs> Two very different movies. Very different. Yeah. Um. And you got Michael I Keaton really, doing the most acting in multiplicity, and <laughs> and then you got up by volume, he is definitely doing the most acting. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, man, where are you going on this? I don't know where to go on this. I'm going. They're equally. They're kind of equally mediocre to me. Right, and I just I have so much more history with multiplicity, uh, so I'll go with that. I Fair I enough. like Aquaman fine, but yeah, but, it's it's all right. <laughs> Doesn't stick with you though very no. long. Shazam, the devil inside. Oh fuck, the devil inside so much. I fucking hate that movie. That's that, that movie. That's a movie. It it came out back in 2012, and it's a it's an exorcism movie. It's a handheld camera movie, and what happens is they get all the way to the end, and they have this massive car accident, and then a screen is up website to see how it all turns out that's i'm not stupid. that's the actual ending of that movie god that's almost like the religious movie who like has you text somebody the midway through or something <laughs> like that god's not dead god's not dead <laughs> they're very similar these two <laughs> in their poor filmmaking abilities <laughs> Wasn't there yeah, like a good handheld exorcism movie that we both kind of? Oh liked? yeah, yeah, The Last Exorcism. Yeah, oh, yeah, that, yeah. Was that movie's awesome. That's one of the great exorcism movies of all time. Absolutely. Why the fuck would you go watch? This a Super Bowl ad. <laughs> <laughs> it's a seventy-eight minute movie, and you're just sitting there, and like you spent the last seventy-five minutes watching this movie, waiting for the you know waiting for the ending to come because it's bad already. It's not a good movie. Doesn't have any stars in it. Here's who are in it or bad. And just and you're just waiting for this thing to fucking be over. But at least you want a resolution. You've invested that much time, and then for them to just pop up a thing that says, so "Watch the ending on our website, thedevilinside.com." Is like, oh my god, fuck you so much. What a misguided move. It's terrible. Even if it was a good movie, that's a terrible idea. Like. I've heard audible boos in a theater before, but that was like the like people were throwing popcorn at the screen. Like they were so pissed off about that. They were so upset. I was just laughing to myself. I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've seen. I mean, I don't care if you're the big Lebowski. You don't. Why would you? I mean, that just no matter how good the movie is, you don't go. All right, the movie you paid for, and I go to the website and. Uh, <laughs> That's a what good about people who went it. to the went to the <laughs> what about people who went to the website before they saw the movie? It's like, what's that? That's the ending in the movie? Oh yeah. But I never went to that website. I didn't even fucking bother. Like the movie's already a piece of shit. The ending's not gonna make it any better. Well, the ending was hidden behind a paywall. See so you to pay again. <laughs> oh man. I mean like I could see like if it's like Avengers and you really want to fuck with people and make money, that's one thing. It's a bad move. Bad, bad move. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But if you want to make money, that's one thing. But 
uh, make a really shitty movie that nobody cares about and then ask them to invest more of their life in it. That's that's some balls. I got to give them that. That's some fucking balls. Yeah, I did not think something like that existed because there's oh, no yeah. reason for it to exist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would get it if it was on Netflix, maybe. But maybe. even then, it's pointless. But you, you're paying to go to the theater to see this thing. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Show's over. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Go to the website, dear. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you next week. See you. Bye.